Man, that feeds the soul, doesn't it? All right, we, we're, we're on the home stretch here. I shared with my boy, you know, we, we go home tomorrow. But truth be told, we can go home today. Right, well, I mean, we're homesick for a home we've never been to. If you have God's Word, open it up to James chapter 4, one single verse, verse 14. James four fourteen it says, You do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. And so, Father, we do not know how quick life is. May the time be well spent. May we be well spent. And we ask, Father, once again that you would get us out of the way so that you may be on display. For your great name, we come before you and and we say we've gathered here as men to simply hear from you, not to hear from a man to see a man, but we wish to see the God-man. We wish to get a glimpse of you, knowing that if we see you, we will not be the same. So we sanctify this room in the name of Jesus Christ. We set it apart for a holy, eternal work. And we trust we have what we've asked as we've prayed according to your will. In Jesus' name, amen. On July 30th, 1967, Johnny Erickson Tata dove headfirst into the Chesapeake Bay, and she had misjudged the shallowness of the water. And in so doing, she became a quadriplegic, not able to move from her shoulders down. She said these words. We are pilgrims who are walking a tightrope between earth and heaven. Feeling trapped in time, yet we have eternity beating in our hearts. Our unsatisfied sense of exile is not to be solved or fixed while here on earth. Our pain and our longings make sure that we will never be content. But oh, how that is good. It is to our benefit that we do not grow comfortable in a world destined for decay. 
if I knew I was going to die tomorrow? I've asked myself, what would I share with my five kids? What would I say to my wife? If I knew I was going to die tomorrow, what would I share with you guys? If I was going to die in that five-and-a-half-hour drive back to Orange County tomorrow morning, if I knew that was going to take place, this is the message that I would share with you. This has been 47 years of preparation coming to this point. This is what I've learned as a follower of Christ, as a father of five, as a husband of one. Through all my travels, I've been to almost 40 different countries, 49 states. I've had some ups and some downs. I've had some crazy trials and journeys. You know, living, knowing that your life is a vapor is different than just living. Knowing that you are here one moment and gone the next will cause eternity to be stamped on your eyelids. That whether you're awake or asleep, you will think about heaven. You will think about eternity. If you knew... If you were fully convinced that you were created for eternity more than for time, then when things come your way, you're going to respond differently. If you knew you were going to die tomorrow, that guy's harsh word towards you, that terrible driver in front of you, none of it would matter to you. You're not going to wish you made more money, worked harder, stayed away from home. It's going to be singular. It's going to be about Jesus Christ and him crucified. Time is precious. We are fragile. Eternity is long and every minute counts. And I don't know what your relationship was or is with your father, but allow me to be a father figure for you for just a moment, even if I'm younger. Allow me to give you, to pour into you six words, six points, six takeaways. Why is that? Because you're going to exist forever. You will live forever. You and God are both in the universe to stay, either as friends on his terms or as enemies on your terms. And which it will be, will be, decided here and now. Two seconds and we will be gone. You know, I'm 47. I'll be 48 in a week and a half. Yesterday, it feels like I was four years old. I remember saying my ABCs for the first time. I know exactly where I was at in Westminster, California. I remember I was going clockwise around my brother's crib. And my older brother looked at me and he said, you did it. That's it. I went, huh. I remember that as if it was yesterday. Life is short. Eternity is long. We need to pick up the pace because youth is no guarantee of old age. And Scripture encourages us to number our days and our youth. That means in light of your death, are you making sure that your life is counting for that which matters most? 
So six things. Let's quickly go through them. Number one, listen, this is what I've learned. I said it earlier. It's not about you. It's not about you. You do not need to be in control of your life because God is. It's not about you. He knows what he's doing. He knows how to steer your ship. Ultimately, your aim is to get to God, and he knows how to get you there. I would remind my kids of Romans 8.28 that all things are working together for good. And if everything is working together for good, then we take it to its logical conclusion that there really is no such thing as bad news. Now, I understand that rape is a horrific thing, right? But it has to come through the sovereign hand of the majesty on high to okay such a task from taking place. And I don't know what your history is. I don't know what mess you've created, but your mess is part of his message, right? Your redeemer is bigger than your past. He's able to, yes, he's able to. He's able to do anything and everything. And Corey Ten Boom said, there is no panic in heaven, just plans. Oh, no, I messed this up. Yeah, but God, God's not pacing back and forth, right? There's no sweat on his brow. He's not worried. He's not wondering. He doesn't need your wisdom. He's never asked for counsel. He knows what he's doing. He's big enough for the task. I like what John Sale said. If I had the power of God, there are many things I would change. But if I had the wisdom of God, I wouldn't change a thing. Allow me to be God for a moment. No. If I had the power of God, nah. If you had the wisdom of God, you just allow God to be God. You allow your circumstances to be what they are and allow him to write his story. I would tell my kids if I knew I was dying tomorrow that things are not falling apart, but rather they're falling into place. The question is often asked, you know, when you speak about devotions, do you have devotions in the morning or do you have them in the evening? And the answer is yes. Yes. I see God early in the morning because I'm going to be lied to the rest of the day. But here's the thing, it's not about my devotion to God, but his devotion to himself. You thought I was going to say it to me, right? No, he is devoted, utterly devoted to himself. He has made a covenant with himself that he will not break. He knows what he's doing. He's going to accomplish his will, and he says, who wants to be along for the ride? You do not need to be in control. It's not about your devotions to God, but his devotion to himself. He is utterly faithful, utterly devoted to himself. Look at Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water brings forth its fruit in season, whose leaf also shall not wither. And whatever he does 
shall prosper. Wow. What's the caveat? What's the catch? Meditate on God's word. When? Day, night. Day and night. Get in it in me. Abraham Lincoln said, I will study and prepare, and perhaps my time will come. Are you studying? Are you preparing? Are you seeking? Are you meditating? Are you having that Selah moment? Are you sitting on your hands saying, God, speak, speak, Lord? Has something come between you and your God? Do you need to get something right? Do you need to confess? Do you need to forsake? C.H. Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, was seen crossing the road one day. And right there in the middle of the road, he just stopped with all of the commotion. He looked up to the heavens With a sigh of relief, he continued to walk. He crossed the street, came over to a stranger, and he said, the stranger said, what was that all about? And he said, I realized that something came between me and my God, and I didn't want to take another step until it was resolved. May we have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. If you do not meditate on God's Word, you will believe lies are truth. If you want to be wise... Get in God's Word. If you want to know how to respond, read God's Word. If you want to know what to believe, read God's Word. If you want to know what the future holds, what, if you want to make sense of life, if you want to withstand temptation, read God's Word. Meditate on God's Word. If you want knowledge, go to school. If you want wisdom, get on your knees. Right? The army of God marches forward on his knees. You will accomplish far more through prayer than through your actions. Martin Luther says said, I spend two hours a day in prayer, and when I'm really busy that day, I spend four. Continually communing, continually seeking, continually asking. Number one, if number one is true and it's not about you, and number two, it's God knows. What does God know? The answer, yes. Yeah, man, I mean, he just knows it. He knows it all. He knows you personally. He knows you physically. He knows you prophetically. He just knows. He's not caught off guard by anything that's going to come your way or his way. God knows you personally. Look at Psalm 139. It says in verse 1 that he has searched you and he has known you. He knows you're sitting down and you're rising up. He understands your far-off and strange thoughts. Think about that for a moment. He understands your thoughts from afar. It's not the fact that God is afar off. He's in a distant place taking care of so many other things. No, he understands your thoughts from afar, your far-off thoughts, your thoughts that you think that nobody understands. Nobody knows what I'm going through. I have these secret things that I'm going to the grave with. He understands that. And as we said earlier, that word knows in verse 2 speaks of the same word as Adam knew his wife. This infinite knowledge of God is intimate. John leaned upon the breastplate of Jesus Christ, and he listened to the heartbeat of deity. God knows the rhythm of your heart more than John did of Jesus. As a father, if I knew I was 
going to die tomorrow. I would tell my kids that God has pre-appointed the boundary and the timing of their habitation. He has strategically and specifically placed you here to walk in a work which he's prepared beforehand to bring him glory. Don't miss it. As a father, I would tell my kids that God made them in secret, that he knit them together, that every freckle, every mole has been painted on by God himself, specifically placed. And since God knows you intimately, you can confidently come to him with dirty hands and allow him to clean you up. You know, Peter, at the beginning of his ministry, when they get inside the boat and they're going over to the Decapolis, over on the east side of the Sea of Galilee, and the tumultuous storm begins to rage, and they wake up Jesus and they say, hey, don't you care that we're perishing? And Jesus hushes the sea to sleep, goes back to sleep himself. Just picture this, right? And he's just not moved by circumstance. You do not need to be moved by circumstance. You can mock your trial. I would tell my kids, you can laugh at your adversity. Listen, you're allowed to worry and stress as much as God worries and stresses. You're allowed to freak out as much as God freaks out. My God doesn't know how to freak out. And Peter, when he says, don't you care that we're perishing? And then at the end of his ministry, what does he say? Cast all your cares on him, for he cares for us. So he went from a place, don't you care, to I've learned something about this one, this Messiah, that we can, man, everything we can throw onto his lap. He cares about it all. Nothing's too little, nothing's too big. He sees it all. As a father, I would tell my kids, you cannot disappoint God because he's already, dis- he's already anticipating your failure. He knows your birth date, he knows your death date, and he sees, your, he sees you on your last day just as he saw you on that first day. He sees a finished product. And as a Christian, when you became a Christian, he set you apart, he sanctified you. But according to Romans 8, he also already glorified you. Positionally glorified. Practically, we're not there yet. Positionally, yeah, man, as far as the east is from the west, he's grabbed a hold of your sin and removed it from you. Never to shove it back in your face to remind you of what a failure you are. God knows you physically. It says, for you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's wombs. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and I am wonderfully made. As a father, I would tell my kids, you cannot be where God is not. You go to that party, you go on that cruise, you go to that rave, you go inside that liquor store, you go to that brothel, you go to that massage parlor. You cannot go where God is not. Every step you take is a step towards God. Death cannot remove you from God. Distance cannot separate you from God. And darkness cannot hide you from God. Everything you do in darkness is made manifest on that day of judgment. He sees it in bright light. 
Where can I flee from your spirit? Where can I go? Where can I flee from your presence? Nowhere. God knows us all the time because he has known us before there was time. As a father, I would tell my kids that God knows them personally and physically. You don't have time to get into prophetically, but he knows everything about you. Don't be surprised when you fail, right? You will, you will fall. You will fail because you're frail. I mean, the guy who put an eraser at the end of the pencil knew what he was doing. The instrument of sin, right? We, we make mistakes. Let's just own up to it. This guy came up to me one time. He says, man, you're a loser. And I said, man, you don't know the half of it. I'm a whole lot worse than you think I am. And so are you. Faith is simply taking God at his word. And I would say, you know what, kids? Take God at his word. Just read it and say, that settles it. I believe it. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. Even if I don't believe it, it still settles it. God has the final word. God will always have the final word. Think about it. There's going to come a time in each one of our lives when we're standing really at the precipice of glory, looking over life's finished story, and the only thing that's going to matter is what you did in Christ. And there's going to come a time in each one of our lives where you're going to do something for the last time. You're going to eat your last bowl of Captain Crunch Berries. You're going to root for that favorite team for the last time. You're going to go to Disneyland for the last time. You're going to say goodbye to that person for the last time. You're going to send an email. You're going to dot an I. Think about this. You're going to dot an I for the last time, never to do it again. Maybe you've already done it. We don't know. You're going to cross a T for the last time. And then you'll go from time on into eternity. And I want to encourage you, everything within you, I mean, stop watching Office. I'm not saying you need to stop watching Office, but maybe you do, whoever you are. Stop playing video games. I'm not saying you need to stop watching video games, playing video games. I'm saying you, whoever you are, you know what God's trying to tell you. I mean, let's just get serious. And God's saying, let's get serious. Let's get serious about your life. Pick up the pace. Get going. Stop trying to be cool. God wants to use your failure, not waste it. He doesn't want to give you amnesia so you forget your past. We're going to talk about this tomorrow morning. God wants to give you a renewed heart and a mind with ears to hear him triumphantly proclaim, neither do I condemn you. You know, Corey Ten Boom, one of my heroes in the faith, she said, our outlook goes beyond this world, and we are training for eternity. And getting older, one discovers something about the plan behind the happenings of our past. When we look back, we realize that behind many events, which did not seem important in and of themselves, I now look back and I see that there was actually a design, an order, a continuity working together for my good. When the Christian realizes that he is inhabited by God, he will stop living as if he is inhibited by the world. The measure of a man is determined on what it takes to stop him. Number three, I would tell my kids, be faithful with the small things. Why? 
because there's no such thing as a small thing. It's man-made vernacular in order to get you to realize, hey, it's not a big deal. It is a big deal. It is a big deal. That little thing is a big deal. The biggest thing that God is requiring of you is to be faithful with that small thing because that small thing leads to other things. Stop thinking about her. Stop flirting with your secretary. Close the curtain. Stop looking at your neighbor. Be faithful to small things. You sow a thought, you will reap an action. You sow an action, you'll reap a habit. Sow a habit, you'll reap a character. Sow a character, you will reap your destiny. And it starts with a thought, a singular thought. Grab a hold of that thought. Claim that thought. Take it captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. Get serious with your sin because your sin is serious with you. You could say you're done with your sin, but your sin's not done with you. You'll know when it's done with you because Scripture says with sin, when it is full grown, it brings forth death. So you be killing your sin or your sin will be killing you. We treat our sin like a cream puff. We need to treat it like a rattlesnake. Every private sin is an open spectacle in heaven. He sees it all. That's uncomfortable, right? It's not your best life now. As a father, I would tell my kids how we hear pastors falling into sexual sin all the time. I would remind them that every public failure is the result of a thousand private failings. You don't crave holiness and purity and integrity and truth and the inward parts. Well, then you need to ask for it. Do what A.W. Tozer did. God, I don't desire you, but I desire to want to desire you. That's all I got to give you right now. You draw near to God, and God will draw near to you. This is all I got, God. I don't feel like worshiping. I don't feel like lifting up my hands. I don't feel like reading the word. I don't feel like being faithful to my wife. I don't feel like leading my kids. This is what I got. I don't want to go to work. You be faithful. You be honest. The Father's seeking after those who will worship him in spirit and in. You be honest before God. You can be honest. This is how I feel. And then you do what's right. And when you don't do that which is right, then you repent. You do the next thing. You move forward. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? Remember that when you fail, you've already been forgiven by the only one who can condemn. Therefore, run your race with endurance. Pick up the pace. Don't look back. Don't give up. Don't shut up. Don't let up. Number four. Reach out to the lost. Remember we said, Carl Sagan said, when you're in love, you want to tell the world. And maybe you're just not telling the world because maybe you're just not in love. Maybe you're not born again. What would you think of a man who sat poolside at a luxury hotel and some two-year-old toddler stumbled into the pool, when the gate was not shut, fell into the pool, went back to reading the good book, 
and didn't do anything about the child who plunged into the water, you know, that person would be charged with a crime. It's called depraved indifference. Depraved means lowly. Indifference means I couldn't care less. And sadly, that is the state of so many people that sit on the pews Sunday after Sunday as people sink into the icy graves of hell. You walk by your neighbors. You've lived next to your neighbors for years. You have no idea what their names are. It's just time to, to be men, right? I mean, we're just going to be candid here. Yeah. There, there, there's no condemnation. Right, this is a message not even prepared for you. It's for my kids. And it's a message that I prepared for myself. You're just sitting in on it. And they're just words, unless they're true. Ari Tori said, to win men to the acceptance of Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord is the only reason Christians are left in this world. Flat tires are not a bummer. Bad service at a restaurant is a blessing and an opportunity to discuss God's grace. Telemarketers are not an interruption to your day. What does God have to do to get your attention? He'll do it. Charles Spurgeon said, no pursuit of mortal men is to be compared with that of soul winning. Your one business in life is to lead men to believe in Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. Everything else should be made subservient to this one objective. If not you, then who? And if not now, well, then when? When you know enough, you'll never know enough. If you have your testimony, you have enough to go. Remember the first person who Jesus sent out to share the good news was the demoniac who was cutting himself. Legion. He was naked. He was beside himself. He was possessed. And Jesus healed him. And then Jesus goes to get inside the boat to go over to the west side of the Sea of Galilee. And this guy goes, whoa, I'm going with you. And Jesus says what? Let's go. Is that what he said? No, he said, go home to your family and tell them what great things God has done. The first person Jesus sent out was a naked man who just came to his senses. How much knowledge, how much theology did this guy have? You could fill a thimble. I was once blind and now I see, baby. That's what he knew. And God said, that's enough, now go. But now listen, as you go, grow. Study the last question that you wondered about or that you were asked about. Go. You'll never have enough. I go to college campuses all the time. I speak to professors all the time. Recently debated this astronomy professor at Chafee College. I know very little about astronomy, but I know the gospel, and it really didn't go good for him. It really didn't, and it's not because I'm filled with all this knowledge. I challenged him on, big word, epistemology, the study of knowledge, the theory of knowledge. How do you know what you know is true? Could you be wrong about everything you think is true? Is there such thing as absolute truth? Are there moral absolutes? Started challenging him concerning the laws of logic, the laws of science, the laws of moral absolutes. That's my wheelhouse. I, I can deal with that. I spoke down in the Creation Science Museum in Santee, California. And I got a phone call from the curator saying, hey, Bill Nye, the not-so-science guy, he wants to show up and he wants to challenge you concerning the age of the earth and dinosaurs. You okay with that? 
and he wants to film the whole thing. I said, sure. A friend of mine who's the head of apologetics at Biola, we tagged him a Sunday school at the time we did at my church. He said, Mark, are you sure you want to do that? And I said, absolutely. Let's do a role play. You pretend to be Bill Nye, and I'll pretend I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> we went back and forth for like 45 minutes, and I, I love a subject called presuppositional apologetics. It's where he challenged their worldview. And we went back and forth. And when we were all done, he goes, you know, that's almost crazy enough to work. And I went on air three different episodes of mine, and I laid out these six questions that I'm going to challenge Bill Nye on to allow him to do some homework. And I felt bad for him. It's kind of like Paul Washer when he was in Peru and a police officer picked him up, put him in the back of the police car. And Paul Washer, he started to cry. And the police officer said, are you scared? And he says, yes, I am scared. He goes, good, you should be. And he goes, no, I'm not scared for me. I'm scared for you. That's a man who's confident in his God. God doesn't slow down. You're just a speed bump. He hovers right over the top. And Bill Nye never showed up. But it was packed out with atheists. There's two overflow rooms. I got up there, preached the gospel. We filmed it for our TV show. And I just took questions for an hour from all of these atheists. Just the same regurgitated questions. There's nothing new under the sun. Number five, I would tell my kids to pick up the pace. Why? Because cemeteries are filled with teenagers. Youth is no guarantee of old age. And just like any race, there's all kinds of distractions. And just like any race, there's a lot of people rooting for you to fail. But don't let it move you. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run, run in such a way that you may obtain it. Paul said, I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You know, we need to put into our practical Christian walk what collegiate athletes put into their training. It's not go hard or go home. It's go hard because we are almost home, brothers. We're almost home. You got to pick up that pace. Slow and steady wins the race, but listen, you got to pick it up. You got to lay aside some sort of weight that's going on in your life. As a father, I would tell my kids if you're going to fail, fail by falling forward. Man, just step into the batter's box, step out onto the crashing sea. It doesn't matter how tumultuous the storm is when your eyes are on the Lord, it doesn't matter what's happening outside the boat. You fix your eyes on Jesus and nothing else matters. And just like any race, it doesn't matter how you start but how you finish. Listen, you may have had a terrible start in life, self-imposed or otherwise. But no Olympian ever gets an award for how they start. It's how they finish. can't take your foot off the gas. Um, my, my son, Ethan, 
he, uh, he came to me and he told me that he entered himself into a race. I'm like, wait, what? Wait, what kind of race? It was like a mile race. Didn't even know you ran, son. Oh, I, I, well, I'll be there. And he starts running the race. And unbeknownst to me, this, this kid starts killing it. And he starts to win. And he gets about 10 meters away from the finish line. And he falls. And he starts throwing up. Right? Yeah, well, you didn't train, you nimnu. He starts throwing up, and I'm over on the side watching, and I said, oh, you're not quitting. You're not stopping. You, you get across that finish line. I said, son, cross the finish line. And I'm yelling at him to cross the finish line as he's throwing up about 10 meters from the finish line, right? Any good father would do that, right? It's not an option to stop at that point. You will cross that finish line, or I'm going to throw your fanny over the finish line. So I'm yelling at him. I said, son, cross the finish line. Cross the finish line. Son, come to me. Come to me. And my son, he starts army crawling. Until finally he crosses the finish line and he wins it. But he's throwing up. And I grabbed a hold of him and I hugged him. And I didn't care that I had throw up all over me. And I was so proud of him. He won the race. But listen, he finished the race. Some of you have thrown up all over yourself. And you're like 10 meters from the finish line. Some of you have just made a, a mess of your life. It's not an option to stop. There's no throwing in the white towel. There's no giving up. God gives beauty for ashes. You hand them your burnt ashes. You stand back and you see what God can do through you. You may be thrown up all over the place, but you better not stop. Number six, last one, don't waste your dash. What is that? That's that little hyphen between the day you were born and the day you die. That's all you got. That's it. All you got is that little line, that little itty-bitty line. That is it. I was up in Eureka, California at a cemetery. I go to a lot of different cemeteries. I go into a town, I find a cemetery, and I just cruise the cemetery. Right? Welcome to my life. That's what I do. I remember going up and down, reading the tombstones, and I came across this one tombstone, and I was floored by what it said. This is what it said. 
0320-1972. I'll never forget it. 0320-1972. That's what was written on there. It was the day this gentleman had died. It was the day that I was born. This guy died on March 20th, 1972, the day that I was born. And I remember thinking to myself, does anybody have a clue who this guy was? The day he died, the day I was born. And I remember thinking to myself at that moment, just a, a solemn Selah moment. Hmm. I wonder if he knew the Lord. And if he did... I wonder if he told people about his Lord. And it lit a fire underneath me. Martin Luther said, God creates out of nothing. Therefore, until a man is nothing, God can make nothing out of him. Matthew 16, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever will save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake... We'll find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and he forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? I would tell my kids if I knew I was going to die tomorrow that they were created by God and for God. That he made you for his glory. If you do not see God in his glory, you will be mesmerized by fireworks. If you cannot see the sun, you'll be satisfied with flashlights and streetlights. Your life will be filled with shadows, mirages, and short-lived pleasures. For in the beginning, God said, let there be light. And for thousands of years, the sun has risen every day to make us thirsty for the light behind the light. And in the end, God is going to satisfy that thirst with an experience of his own brilliant beauty beyond all description. As Isaiah says, the sun shall be no more your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give light to you by night. But the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Your sun shall no more go down, nor your moon withdraw itself. For the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of crying shall end. Isaiah chapter 60. 19 to 20. So the six things that I would stress to my kids is, number one, listen, it's not about you. Never has, never will. Number two, God knows. What does he know? Yes, man, he just knows. He knows what you're going through. He knows everything that you're going through. He knows you personally, physically, prophetically. He's not surprised when you fail. I would tell my kids to be faithful to the small things. Reach out to the lost, pick up the pace, and don't waste your dash. You may be throwing up, but it's not an excuse to give up. Ponder this for a moment. There is a preacher who speaks bolder and louder than any I've ever met. He's not very popular, though the world is his stage. He travels every part of the globe, and he speaks every language, and he knows every dialect. He visits the poor, he calls upon the rich. He preaches to people of every religion and to those of no religion, and yet the subject of his sermon is always the same. He's an eloquent and powerful preacher, often stirring feelings which no other preacher can. 
He brings tears to eyes that never weep. No one can refute his arguments, nor is there any heart that has remained unmoved by the force of his preaching. He shatters life with his message. Most people hate him. Everyone fears him. His name? Death. Every tombstone is his pulpit. Every newspaper prints his text. And someday every one of you will be his sermon. I'm out of time, but I want to share a a story, uh, something that happened to me. You're going to wish you never heard it. Buckle up. When my youngest girl, Eden, was born, she was inside the kitchen. She had a wooden spoon, and she had a pot, and she was banging the pot. I look inside there, and she's smiling from ear to ear, and I look at my oldest son, Noah, and I said, Noah, will you go play with Eden? He goes, Dad, do I have to? I'm watching the game. Right, God's game, Lakers. We're watching the Lakers. And as we're watching the Lakers with my wife, who loves the Lakers, praise God. (laughs) Noah, who likes the Lakers, was now forced to go into the kitchen where Eden was at to entertain his sister, who is hitting a pot with a wooden spoon. She's smiling from ear to ear. Noah grabs a wooden spoon himself, grabs grabs a pan, and starts banging it. Eden just, with exuberant joy, lights up. Man, I'm on top of the world. Things don't get any better than this. I said, Noah, you having fun? Time of my life, Dad. That's the story. Let me bring the application. Because of Eden's ability, intellectual ability, she cannot fathom it getting any better than that. She cannot imagine the idea of sex being just a little baby. She cannot. She has never stopped to enjoy a sunset. She's never seen God come through clutch at the right moment to provide finances. She's never enjoyed a ribeye steak. I could try to explain it to her, but she wouldn't get it. Now, my son Noah, my son Noah gets it. He's had a steak. And man, baby food, Cheerios, it just doesn't cut it for him. He's at a different level. His capacity to enjoy greater things is at a different level than Eden. But guess what? It's not at the same place as mommy and daddy. We're much further along than Noah. You know what I just explained to you? Heaven. I just explained rewards. I just explained what it's going to be like to enjoy Christ himself. That there's different levels, different capacities to enjoy your creator forever. Now, guess what? Everybody's happy in heaven. Everybody's excited to be there. 
but our capacity to enjoy the creator of sunsets, surfing, seafood, and sex are all going to be at different levels depending on what you do with him here. I don't understand how trophies and rewards and awards and crowns work. I really don't. But they're real. They're real things. But when we get to heaven, we're all going to be happy. But some will be playing with pots and pans and they won't know it. Some people's ability to just enjoy God is going to be at a different level than everybody else. Oh, you made it, 1 Corinthians 7, but by the skin of your teeth. You made it. But then you got nothing to show for it. You buried your talent. You buried your treasure. You stood too long in front of the mirror. And you thought it had something to do with you. It doesn't. It never has. It never will. I got it. You've made some bad decisions in life. But God is not done. And how do we know God's not done? It's because you are still what? You're still alive. Get back in the race, man. Open up God's word. Meditate on it. Chew on it. Desire it more than your breakfast, more than meat. I have meat to eat you know not of, Jesus said. Listen, where are you going to go? He alone holds the words to eternal life. Just listen. It's time to stop playing church. I am your best friend here today because I dare to tell you the truth. Your best friend. And I'd much rather be considered your enemy and tell you that which is true than for you to call me friend, for me to pat you on the back and say everything's okay when everything's not. Listen, men, rise up. Stop your pouting. Stop your crying over frivolous things. Right? I mean, just, I'm an emotional man. I, I cry all the time. I do. But look, at my kids are not my own. I hold them like this. When they were little, I used to hold them like this. Every time the door would open and they would come crying, I'm thinking, well, they got it. They Popped out an eye. They broke an arm. Listen, my kids are not mine. My finances are not mine. My time is not mine, and it's not yours. You've been redeemed by the only one who will condemn you, and he says, I will neither condemn you nor forsake you. I want to use you. I want to live on you. I want to bless you. I, 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 want, I just want you. That's what God would say. I want you. You have nothing to give me. I want you and all of your naked simplicity. What an exchange, the great exchange, right? You get God. Wow. I, I, I've got God. So, gang, listen, I'm, I'm well over. I, I, I just, I'm not going to see you again, right? I mean, maybe tomorrow morning. But, I mean, that's it, really, right? I'm not going to speak up here at Heartland again. This is it. This is my third time. I'm just, I'm.
when I had spoke at this music festival, I preached the gospel, and I was all done. I went and handed the microphone over to Jimmy Needham, like the MC. He took the microphone, he handed it over to the owner of the event, 13, 15,000 people, right, give or take. And the owner says, I'm going to do something I've never done. He comes out there, and he goes, listen, um, before 10th Avenue North comes out here and performs and Lecrae comes out and performs, we're going to do something a little bit different here, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to do something I've never done. We're going to take a break. We're going to take a 10-minute break. Some of you need to do what Mark says. You need to go over to the prayer tent. Others of you just need to go and meet with God. You need to go and pour your heart out before God. Let's take a 10-minute break. So you can just go get alone. Get away from the sheep. Sheep are noisy. Go get alone with God. That 10 minutes turned into two and a half hours. People just getting alone. You just need to get alone. You just need to get open and naked. Confess. Start going down a list of things you need to forsake. Lord, I can't. I just love my sin too much. Gotcha. Are you willing to surrender it? Yeah, but I don't know how. Come to me. I'll remove it from you. I'll do the work that you can't do yourself. I went over to Lecrae's hype man that was right there, and he sat next to him, and he goes, man, I've never heard a message like that. I've never heard a message like that. The next day, I went inside the green room. Toby Mack's band was in there. I was talking to one of the band members, and I said, and I had my boys there. I said, hey, tell my kids about sexual purity. How do you stay sexually pure on the road? And he goes, I lost my wife. I lost my kids. They don't honor me. They don't respect me. I said, sir. I am committed to pray for you every single day for the next year. You can count on it. I don't know you, but I'm going to pray for you every day for a year. And I did. Things are not over. Things are not done. All right? I love you guys, and I don't even know you. The bond in the blood of Christ has knitted us together there's nowhere you need to be. You don't need to go and make s'mores. You don't need to go and play a game. There, really, we can sit through a two-hour movie, but we can't sit through an hour of preaching. Just consider that for a moment, right? That, that hits close to home. Well, it's hard to sit on the chair. Well, then stand up. I don't care. I'm not distracted. You do what you got to do. So I'm going to let you go. And I know you guys are going to go do activities and do those activities. Have fun. Do those under the glory of God. Climb this rock under the glory of God. Do that. Have fun. God is not this cosmic killjoy who wants to suck all the fun out of our lives. He enjoyed. He had fun with his disciples. He probably told jokes. But do it under the glory of God. Do it with the end in mind that at the end of the day, you go to bed and it's a day well spent. Who cares the way you started? How are you going to finish? How are you going to finish? Amen?
Amen. Let's pray. Father, we applaud you. We thank you, God, and we ask of you what we cannot do ourselves. Would you please, Father, by the power of your Spirit, allow our lives to count. Get us back in the race. Get us back in the battle. Help us not to count our lives dear to ourselves. Let us not care what people think. Transform us by your word. Help us be meditating on your word day and night. Lord, it's really, really simple. It's Jesus Christ and him crucified, period. Forgive us for complicating things, Lord. And I pray now, Lord, for a special blessing upon these guys. They know who they are. They know what they need to do. May they step out of the boat, God, in Jesus' name. Amen.